Good morning. It is Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Great to have you along with us. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. With individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle, you can learn more and find your plan at DeltaDentalCoversMe.com. And uh, perfect timing, uh, I think. Uh, for, for this segment, we're going to have uh, Chris Hatfield with us, the executive editor of SoxProspects.com. Uh, and uh, Chris, not the best of weekends, to say the least, uh, for the Boston Red Sox. No, I was going to say, I don't know about perfect timing, Ken, but, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> uh, but, but yeah, it, you know, you had a chance with the team you're trying to run down here in the wild card race coming into town to make up some ground. And, you know, when you think about it, as hot as the Red Sox have been over the past, what, 30, 45, 60 days, they really haven't made up a whole lot of ground on the Blue Jays. And this was your opportunity. And it really is Kind of, a, it is a missed opportunity yep. to, to make up that ground, and now they're really going to have their work cut out for them. Granted, they're about to hit a really soft part of the schedule. They got, uh, you know, some really, you know, you got teams like the Royals and Nationals coming up that really are not that great. So it's another opportunity here. But uh, certainly this past weekend, not only a missed opportunity, but just how you lost. Oh yeah, you know, oh, getting yeah. shellacked last night. The whole thing with Verdugo. It's. Things are not trending in the right direction right now. Um, we'll see if they can right the ship with kind of the, the cupcake portion of the schedule coming up. It seems like uh, Alex Cora is at the uh, end of his rope uh, right now. I mean, after Saturday's game, he said it was uh, one of the worst days he spent in the Red Sox organization uh, uh-huh. after Verdugo uh, showed up late. And uh, he, he was uh, in, in the starting lineup originally, then taken out, and then uh, lots of uh, speculation throughout the game, and then after the game with the comments by Cora and uh, Verdugo. Not the first time that Verdugo has been out of line uh, this year. And uh, uh, what, do you, what do you think his, his future is uh, in, in Boston? It's it's a good question, you know, and it's really come into focus when you hear about the rumors that they were maybe looking to deal him at the trade deadline, even though he's got a year remaining. And it, it, there's some, you know, some logic to that, right? Because in this game, you get more for guys with some team control remaining than you do for a true rental. So if you're trading an outfielder and maybe you like maybe an Adam Duvall in right, situ- right field situation, you know, just as well as you like a Verdugo in right field situation, you know, for this year at least, then you could see why moving Verdugo might have been the move if they're trying to maximize their return, right? Which that's a that's a whole other conversation. I'm sure we'll get into, but you know, you you kind of see that. It's like, all right, I see where they're going with it, and then you hear about this, like, oh, you know, maybe this is where that's coming from. They're thinking he's the one to remove from the roster and maybe get some addition by subtraction or something. So, you know, it's it's it really kind of put things in perspective as for next year. Who knows? I mean. You know, Adam Duvall's a free agent, but you've got a guy in, say, Don Rafaela who's tearing up AAA right now. He's, he's just hit home runs in five consecutive games. He's going to be our player of the week, probably. Or not probably, almost certainly for last week. Um, you know, is, is time running down on Verdugo's tenure in Boston? I think you could see him being moved this offseason. Certainly, that said, all this coming out is kind of 
certainly not helping his trade value, that's for sure. No, that is true. And then uh, all that going on during the game Saturday and the Red Sox mm-hmm. with a, a, a comeback in the uh, bottom of the ninth inning only to be uh, thwarted by a uh, bonehead base running play by Reese McGuire to, to end the ball game. Oh, man, it, it was just a brutal Saturday, no no question. And it didn't get any better on Sunday. In fact, maybe it even got worse mm-hmm. with that 13-to-1 pounding. But let, let's accentuate the positive, sure. uh, Chris, because there's been a lot of negative around the Red Sox this past week for their uh, lack of activity around the trading deadline and the Verdugo thing, the bad base running, the errors, which have been costly all season. But Sedan Rafaela, he has mm-hmm. certainly made a, a great transition from uh, from Portland to Worcester. Oh, no question. I mean, and, and it's not even a transition. Well, I mean, it is a transition, you know, because as we've talked about, especially since the removal of, of short season a ball, which I know, you know, especially for, for folks like you and I, it was particularly hard, but um, you know, it's what you have is the minor league levels kind of expanding to fill that gap, right? Because the talent level of players who would have gone to a lull still exist, but now they're going to a lot of them are going to low a. So low a kind of gets a little worse. And so that, you know, high a has to get a little bit worse because you want to promote guys out of low a. So they're playing against guys with the right talent level. So each step up the ladder really does get that much harder now. That said, you know, Raphael has been hitting since about May. Um, We've talked before about his main bugaboo is the fact that he just chases like crazy. He's he's a very aggressive hitter. He, he, you know, swings at about 35, 40% of pitches outside the zone. That's that's a lot of swings. Um, But he's able to make it work for him. And I think what happened that really let him take off is the Red Sox stopped trying to make him into a different hitter. You know, they tried it at the beginning of the year, tried to make him more patient, but you saw a guy who was taking pitches just to take pitches, and that's not that's not helpful either. You know, it's it's you want to be tracking pitches and making good swing decisions, not just taking pitches for the sake of, you know, running up a pitch count or something like that. That doesn't work. You know, you still have to be aggressive early in the count if that's when you get your pitch. And I think once they kind of took the reins off of him, he's taken off. And, and that's showing. He's really hitting the ball well. And Worcester, he's an exciting player. We've talked about the defense. It's double-plus defense in center field. It's above average to maybe plus defense at shortstop. A guy who's a plus runner. He can do a lot of things on the field, and I think he's going to have a very nice major league career. The question is still how much he hits. You know, he wouldn't be the first guy to you know, absolutely rake in AAA and, and maybe sputter out at the major league level. On our forum, someone pointed out that the last Red Sox prospect to hit like this in AAA – Granted, we're only talking about 140 plate appearances, maybe. But the last guy to hit like this for the Red Sox in AAA was Will Millbrooks, right? So it's it's not a guarantee that this translates to the major league level. The last guy before that was Ryan Lavarnway. Again, um, you know, it's not automatic that it translates. That said, you know, Rafaela does a lot of things that Lavarnway and Middlebrooks didn't do in terms of the defense and in terms of the speed. So. Um, looking forward to seeing him at Fenway. I don't know if we're going to see him this year. I'm kind of hearing some things that we might not. Really? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think part of it is they just they want him to keep working. And look, 140 plate appearances is not the largest sample size ever, right? And if you look, you know, of his 11 AAA home runs, eight have come against the Syracuse Mets, who lead the league in home runs allowed, <laughs> right? So, yeah. and it's not to naysay what he's doing. It's terrific what he's doing. It's not like they're hitting nine home runs a game against the Mets right now. A home run's a home run, but I think they want him to see you know teams multiple times, 
see good pitching multiple times. Maybe we'll see him in September, but remember, with, with rosters only expanding by two now, there's only one spot for a hitter. Is that going to be a third catcher? Is that going to be now that Christian Arroyo stuck around? Maybe Arroyo comes back up in September. Um, so I could easily see that. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with him. At the very least, I think we'll see him early next year. But um, I'd like to see him. <laughs> yeah, know, this year just because it's so exciting. Exactly. Yeah. Level. Well, the other part of it is too. They don't want to spend any service time on him uh, for a September call up. Probably. I mean, you can still call him up in September. You know, there, there's several reasons you might not want to. So, there's the uh, prospect performance initiative or prospect promotion initiative they have, where you can get draft picks. You can get those as long as the player's got, I think, less than 60 days Major League Service time. So he'd still be eligible for that if he's up on opening day next year as a potential Rookie of the Year candidate. Um, you know, 30, 30 days of service time probably isn't the end of the world. But that said, you know, especially if this isn't going to be going anywhere, it, it's kind of a little bit of, you could have it each way. I mean, look at Tristan Casas came up last year, and I think getting that initial exposure does help. Um, so I, I, that's why I think at this point, you, you know, get him up and let's see what he looks like. It's what I would do at least. Wait, well, you mentioned something when you're talking about the amount of uh, home runs that uh, Rafaela has hit uh, against Syracuse. And, you know, if you're depressed as a Red Sox fan right now, just think it, it could be worse. You, you could be you could be a fan of the New York Mets. Well, uh, you know, it's funny, though, because then they, you know, dealt away Scherzer and Verlander and they're paying down a lot of their contracts. And, uh, you know, look... I'm not one. It's kind of funny, Ken, because I had a couple of tweets the other day with the whole Noah Song situation. That's a whole other can of worms. But mentioning, you know, money that the Phillies paid him to basically rehab with them, only to send him back. And I really don't care about money in, in owners' pockets. I'm not here to say we should save John Henry money, right? But that said, you know, the Mets do just kind of operate on a different level right now, and they basically paid about ninety million dollars to buy prospects from other teams and dealing those guys because they weren't going to be able to get them without paying down those contracts. So, you know, granted, not a great situation there right now. I've actually got uh, one of my good friends from college is a scout over there right now. Not good times over there, but you know, it, it certainly could be worse. And it's nice that they're doing things to help their future. So. Chris Hatfield is with us. He is the executive editor of a must website for Red Sox fans, SoxProspects.com. And we'll be talking about uh, more of the prospects in just a couple of minutes. We have to take a real quick break here on Kale and Company, WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com. And then back with more. Chris Hatfield, SoxProspects.com, here on this Monday morning. Sox fans reeling after a horrible weekend against the Blue Jays, but we'll be right back here on WKXL NHTalkRadio.com. We're powered by Northeast Delta Dental. Kale and Company live here on WKXL NHTalkRadio.com. Always love having Chris Hatfield on the show, executive editor of SoxProspects.com. Certainly uh, lots of ground to cover in the limited time we have today. Uh, Chris, you mentioned uh, Noah Song, a, a highly touted uh, prospect a number of years ago. Uh, went to the Phillies organization, now is back in the, the Boston uh, organization. How did that happen? So Song was selected in the Rule 5 draft, Ken, and, and for folks who are uninitiated, basically how I would sum it up is after a certain number of years, 
uh, following your your signing as an amateur, whether it's through the draft or if it's an international player through international signing, you're eligible for what's called the Rule 5 draft. And what that is is the team can draft you, and they have to keep you on the Major League roster all year long, all year long, which is a little bit of an oversimplification. But the Phillies selected Noah Song in the Rule 5 draft, and that was strange because Noah Song attended the Naval Academy, and he hadn't pitched since 2019, and the reason was because he had a military commitment. He graduated from the Naval Academy at a time you know, where the, the current policy in the U.S. in the military was you could not get a waiver to go play professional sports. So he did two years of flight school, and he was when he graduated from flight school after two years, he put in for a waiver. Didn't get it granted, uh, you know, before that Rule Five draft in December of 2022, and wound up getting picked by the Phillies. I think their strategy was going to be let's leave him on the military list when he comes back. You know, if you don't wind up on the major league roster for the whole season, you're drafted. You only have to be on for 90 days. So they're like, all right, you know, in the future, we only need him for 90 days. He gets his waiver. He goes to the Phillies. Weirdly, they put him on a mound the second he reports to training to, to spring training, which is wild because they don't do that with anybody, right. you know. And these guys report they throw on flat ground, they play catch, they play long toss. Song hasn't pitched in three years, and we're putting him on a mound on day one. Sure enough, he gets hurt. So basically, there's this whole saga of he's on the IL, he's on his rehab assignment. Winds up getting returned finally uh, at the trade deadline, but it was just a, a whole thing that, look, Noah Song in 2019 was arguably the top pitching prospect in the Red Sox system, but he hasn't pitched in three years. And so he came back and the stuff's just not the same because of course it isn't. He hasn't done it for three years. So, you know, it was kind of wild, this whole thing. We were getting asked about it on Twitter constantly or, or X or whatever the heck it's called now. Um, you know, emails to our podcast. It's, you know, wild. But back in the organization, um, we've been told he's going to be reporting to uh, High A Greenville, which sounds about right. And they'll go from there. I'm almost honestly kind of surprised they didn't just shut him down to, to send him in the offseason or, or just send him to the complex in Fort Myers. But certainly he'll be there in the fall for the fall performance program. And they'll go from there. But certainly a very unique situation. Yeah. He's an interesting prospect. We don't have him ranked because he technically came back after we'd locked in our, our August rankings update. And frankly, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to cheating and getting a month's worth of data in this system before we have to rank him. But right now, he'd be like at the back of our top 60 just because that's where the stuff is. He's an older reliever at this point who yeah. hasn't picked up a ball in three years. Yeah, absolutely. But when he did pitch in the organization uh, at Lowell, he was uh, he was lights out for, oh, the, for the short time he was there. Terrific. Yeah, yeah I saw yeah. him three times that year, which I usually don't get to see Lowell guys three times, but I, you know, made the drive up to Aberdeen from DC to see him. I happened to be in Lowell on the night he was pitching. Yeah. He was electric, but, yeah. uh, you know, when you're trying to do something at an elite level, like, you know, play a professional sport, if you don't do it for three years, you're just not going to keep doing it at the same level. We'll see what he can get back to. But, um, you know, it's a fun story. I hope it goes well, but, uh, you know, odds are against them, but I wish them the best of luck. If anybody can do it, it you know, could be song. That's for sure. Tell us about Roman Anthony. He, he's moving yeah. up rapidly in in your rankings, Chris. Yeah, he's up to number two in our uh, in our August rankings update. Anthony uh, was drafted out of high school uh, in last year's draft. He was their third draft pick, um, and you know he was one of their compensation picks in the second round. 
that the the Red Sox had, but he got the largest bonus of any of their draftees. So it's kind of, you know, with the Major League Draft, it's a little weird. The order you draft guys isn't necessarily as important as the bonus you give them. Um, they're really high on this kid, and it's clear why. You know, as a, a you know young kid in his first first pro pro season, first full pro season, he played a little bit last year, has just been absolutely electric. Uh, you know, the numbers in Low A Salem didn't necessarily pop out at you, but one of the things we look at these days is you know some kind of underlying metrics. For example, how much contact you make on pitches in the zone, how much you chase pitches outside of the zone. And things like exit velocity and hard hit percentages when you are making contact. And those numbers for him, especially for his age at 19, have been just off the charts, uh, among the best in the game. And he's gone from being a guy who's kind of, you know, in the back end of our top 10 to being a guy who's going to be probably a top 50 prospect this offseason on national lists, I think. Uh, got a promotion to high A Greenville, where he was the lowest, or sorry, the youngest player at the level by about five months. Um, you know, just really young for the level, really advanced uh, challenge for him. And he has just raked in Greenville. He's been hitting better in Greenville than he did in Salem. And my theory is just his eye was too good and he wasn't getting anything to hit in low A because the pitching's just not, it like wasn't good enough to pitch to him, which sounds weird. Yeah. But he just wasn't getting pitches in the zone to hit. And he got up there and maybe a little bit better hitting environments too. Salem really depresses power. Um, but he, he, he's been great. Um, he's, I think, clear number two in the system right now um as far as you know untouchables at this past deadline i think him and marcelo meyer were the two guys that they probably wouldn't have traded under any circumstance um he just really has broken out in a big way uh, a nice piece in the low minors the red sox who's rising rapidly that's for sure don't get too excited folks he's only 19 he's only yeah. 19 he's, and- he's gonna be a bit he's not a guy we're gonna see at fenway next year or probably even the year after you know if it's if it's you know, he starts next year in Greenville, moves up to Portland at some point next year. You know, kind of think of how, uh, you know, Marcelo Meyer or Nick York have moved up the system. It's, it's going to be, you know, maybe end of 2025, early 2026, or more realistically looking at it with Roman Anthony. How about uh, Marcelo Meyer? He's uh, currently on the seven-day injured list with uh, yeah. left shoulder inflammation playing with Portland. But he's, he's kind of struggled at Portland. He has, and you wonder how much of that is the shoulder. And, you know, it, it's, I, I joke, Ken. Um, you know, I, I had a great weekend where both Portland was in Bowie and Salem was in Fredericksburg, so I spent the weekend at the ball field, which was terrific. But every time I try to see Marcelo Meyer, something happens. Last year I happened to be out in Ocean City when Salem was in Delmarva. They were going to have a doubleheader. I'm like, ooh, I'm going to, you know, slip away and go see these games. And he basically had one or two at-bats, looked terrible, and came out of the game and turned out he was having a back issue that literally that's the one day it bothered him. Um, this week I was all excited to go see Meyer and see what the heck the deal was. He had done something like he'd struck out in maybe like 40% of his last 50 or 60 plate appearances. I mean, just really struggling. Yeah. And to see him go on the I.L., I was like, okay, well, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Clearly something is wrong here. You know, this is not a guy who strikes out like that. You know, he had... It, quote-unquote struggled upon his promotion to Portland in that, you know, if you just looked at his batting average, it didn't look good. But his average on balls in play was like 170-something. I mean, he was just clearly having really bad ball and play luck. Ian Cundell, our director of scouting, who gets up to Portland, went and saw him, said he looked fine. He's hitting balls just right at people. It's going to fix itself. And then, of course, it didn't fix itself, and he started striking out. Looks like the shoulder is an issue. It's less shoulder inflammation, like I think you said. 
you know, I, I, I'm not worried about him. I mean, this is a guy I think, I think on MLB pipeline, he's number three in their top 100 right now. Um, you know, he's a consensus top five prospect right now, at least top 10. If if you're being conservative, I'm not worried about Meyer. He's their shortstop of the future. You know, he's, he's got to deal with this injury right now. They'll let him take as much time as he needs. They're not going to rush him back onto the field. Look, if he's not back until September, don't worry about it. Like, they're going to let him take his time. You know, rushing him back to get at bats in Portland this August really is not the goal. The goal is to get him right and get him ready for Boston probably, you know, mid to late 2024. He's not going to be up on opening day, but, you know, I think 2025 is really when, you know, you're kind of looking to pencil him in on opening day at shortstop in Fenway. At Fenway. So um, that's still the goal. I'm not worried about that at all based on the recent struggles. Like I said, the, the injury seems to give a, a reason for them which you hate to see a guy get hurt, but it's nice when it kind of gives a reason for why he's been struggling the way he is. Right, yeah. One thing just off the wall before we have to wrap it up on this Monday, Chris, Jaron Duran has been been terrific at the plate. Uh, He he was drafted as a second baseman. Mm -hmm. Would the Red Sox Mm -hmm. have any thought of perhaps moving him back there at some point? It's funny because that's been getting brought up for a while, Ken, because I think as we've probably talked about, I'm sure, in the past, he hasn't always been very good defensively, and anyone who watched the Red Sox last year knows what we were talking about, right? He wasn't a, a terrific defensive outfielder. That said, with the amount of work he did this offseason to improve there, uh, you know, he's been great this year. I think they're probably just going to let it ride there, maybe down the line, but keep in mind he hasn't picked up an infield glove in like four or five years yeah. at this point, so I, I, I'd be surprised, but that said, you look at the current roster situation and it fits, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> rather than play Justin Turner there, yeah. But, you know, I, I'd want him to be getting infield reps for a month or two before I put him out there. In a yeah, I, I, was so, just thinking, I don't think it's in the offense. He could be like, a, you know, Mookie Betts, you know, play in the outfield and the infield and, uh, you know. <laughs> as, as they once said, why can't we get guys like that? Yeah, right, exactly. Hey, Chris, always, always great to have you with us. It's always too short a period of time, but uh, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, I hope. Sounds like a plan, Ken. Thanks. All right, Chris. Chris Hatfield, the executive editor of a great website, uh, SoxProspects.com. If you have any interest in the Red Sox and their organization whatsoever, that is the website for you, SoxProspects.com. Back with more after these words. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com. We are presented by our great friends at Northeast Delta Dental, and we will be right back. Welcome back, Kale and Company live here for a Monday, and it's a delight to have you with us, presented by Northeast Delta Dental, with individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle, learn more and find your plan at DeltaDentalCoversMe.com. I'll tell you, a guy who spent some time uh, last year at Delta Dental Stadium uh, in Manchester was a gentleman by the name of Davis Schneider. Uh, no relation, by the way, to Toronto Blue Jays manager John Schneider, but Davis Schneider put on an absolute show at Fenway Park starting on Friday night. He made his Major League debut a Friday night at Fenway Park, and what did he do in his first Major League at bat? He hit a home run. And that was just the start of it. What, what a weekend he had. He was 9 for 13 in the Blue Jays' sweep 
of the Red Sox, including his first two Major League home runs. This was a guy that was drafted in the 28th round by the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Played uh, last year, 40 or so games for the Fisher Cats. Uh, Then uh, moved up to their AAA team in uh, Buffalo. Played at Buffalo this year. Was called up just this past weekend by the Blue Jays. And boy, did he do a number on the Red Sox. Pretty much, pretty much uh, ruined their season. I mean, they, they can still bounce back, but... Uh, the Red Sox had a golden opportunity against Toronto this weekend to really move uh, closer to the third uh, wild card spot in the American League, but they lost all three games, played poorly in all three, including uh, yesterday's 13-1 to debacle at Fenway Park. So it was just a lost weekend for the Red Sox in every sense of the word, and of course a lot of controversy on Saturday, as it turned out, Alex Verdugo showed up late uh, for the game. When I say late for the game, uh, Major League players normally get to the ballpark, and this is true in the minor leagues too, they generally get to the ballpark four or five hours uh, before the start of a game uh, to get you know, some help from the medical department in some cases, In other cases, you know, take more ground balls, take more fly balls in the outfield, uh, pitchers fielding practice, all that stuff. And, uh, you know, four to five hours is the normal reporting time for a professional baseball player before each game. Well, Saturday at Fenway Park, Alex Verdugo's name was in the starting lineup originally, but then scratched. At about 2 o'clock, the game was at 4, scratched at about 2 o'clock because he only showed up two hours uh, before the game instead of the customary four or five hours before the game. And then there was a major Red Sox base running blunder in the bottom of the ninth inning involving a former Fisher Cat, again, Reese McGuire, who's now playing for the Red Sox, Uh, He took off uh, for home plate, celebrating on the way between second and third, thinking that a ball hit by Connor Wong was going to leave Fenway Park. It was caught along the left field wall and uh, thrown to second base. Reese McGuire was doubled up at second base after he had long since rounded third. And that's the way the ball game ended on Saturday with the Red Sox dropping a 5-4 to four decision to Toronto. So uh, given that and given the uh, tardiness of Alex Verdugo, not for the first time this year, it was probably at least the third time this year that Verdugo has reported late and to have this base running, <laughs> I don't know what you want to call it, uh, base running blunder. Uh, to end the ball game for the Red Sox when they look like they might be able to pull it out in the bottom of the ninth inning. Uh, Alex Cora called it one of the worst days he's had since joining the Red Sox organization. Uh, So there you go. And it was just a a brutal weekend all the way around if you were a Red Sox fan. And I know many of you set your alarms early 
for yesterday morning, 5 a.m. from uh, Australia, the uh, Women's World Cup. U.S. looking to hang on in the knockout round against Sweden. The U.S., the two-time reigning World Cup champs, the top seed going into this World Cup event. And the result was not a good one. The uh, two-time reigning champion and top-ranked U.S. women's national soccer team went down to defeat in the knockout round of the World Cup. It's all over for them now. Sweden and the U.S. played 90 minutes, 9-0 minutes of scoreless soccer. And then they had a couple of minutes of extra time. Then they went to a 30-minute overtime period. Not sudden death, because it was going to be 30 minutes no matter what. If one team scored, didn't necessarily mean uh, the game was over. It was 30 minutes of overtime again. No scoring in the overtime. So you've got 120 minutes of soccer, no scoring. Then the two teams went to a shootout, and the shootout was won by Sweden 5-4. to four. The U.S. won only one game in the World Cup tournament and finished by not scoring a goal in regulation, or in overtime in their final 238 minutes of play in the World Cup tournament action. They scored just four goals in four games, and three of them were in their first game against a very much overmatched team from Vietnam. And, boy, it was a very, very disappointing uh, World Cup for the U.S. women, and uh, you know, I'm sure there will be some changes made before the next uh, World Cup, but uh, a shock in the soccer world as the U.S. goes down to defeat. Now, the other part of this is I'll get on my soapbox and say to settle such a big game a game that, uh, you know, uh, one team was going to go home. It was a knockout game. The loser went home. In this case, the United States. But it's not, it's not about that. It's about the fact that such a huge game is determined by a shootout. Play the game. I don't care how long it goes. It can go 24 hours without a goal. Just play the game. No shootouts to determine such an important event. That's like having a shootout in a Stanley Cup game. Can you imagine a, a shootout determining the outcome of a Stanley Cup game? And not just one a Stanley Cup playoff game, but one in the finals and one that potentially could send a team packing and another team winning the Stanley Cup in a shootout, that's never going to happen. Never going to happen. It's like ending the World Series with a home run derby. Ending the NBA championship series with a foul shooting contest. 
It's not right. That's got to change. It's happened before. It'll happen again. But to end such an important game with a shootout, instead of just playing the game, just continue. These women are in their 20s, early 30s. They're in the peak of condition. They get four or five days off between every game. They could have played another half hour, another 45 minutes, another hour, whatever it took. I mean, give them a little break. I'm not against that. But to determine such an important event where the shootout is just incomprehensible. It's antiquated. It should not happen. It's got to be outlawed. And I would have said the same thing if it was, you know, uh, Japan against China. I, I would feel the same way. Not, it's not only because the U.S. was involved in this. It's just not the way to settle uh, such a, an important outcome where the, these women have been training years and years for this, you know, one opportunity to win the World Cup and to have it be determined by a, a shootout is just beyond comprehension. Now, we'll take a break. Kale and Company will continue right after these words. Happy to have you with us on this Monday. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Hey, welcome back. It is Kale and Company for a Monday. Hey, delight to have you along with us. Hey, we were talking soccer just a moment ago. Or football, as they call it, in uh, many parts of the world. In fact, more parts of the world than call it soccer, they call it football. Uh, but it's hard to imagine. This is from The Athletic, a great online uh, sports publication. Hard to imagine a better start for Lionel Messi's MLS career, Major League Soccer, when he agreed to join Inter-Miami. Of course, there was a big uh, marketing push uh, for an aging superstar coming to America with the country's hopes of a uh, soccer-filled future seemingly riding on his performance. And uh, Mr. Messi has lived up to it. He scored two more goals last night in a uh, Inter-Miami victory. And uh, one of them to uh, tie the game in the 85th minute of play. So uh, there, there you go. Lionel Messi, the world-renowned soccer player who signed an incredibly large contract, uh, has uh, made his presence felt. Uh, Inter-Miami is on to the uh, League's Cup quarterfinals with last night's win. The team has not lost since the arrival of Messi, who now has seven goals in four matches. And that's not easy to do. Not easy to do in soccer or football. Uh, call it what you will. Red Sox, uh, of course, they, they struggled over the weekend. We, we mentioned that. Probably the less said about that, the better. Uh, but they do resume play tonight. Uh, against the Kansas City Royals, a team that has been playing better baseball of late. Four against the Royals, then three against the uh, Motor City Kitties, the Detroit Tigers, in other words. So the Red Sox have lost seven of their last eight. Now, the Angels, 
They have lost every game since the trade deadline. When they went all in to make the playoffs, hoping to keep Shohei Otani. Well, it just uh, gets worse uh, for the Angels. Ten and a half back in the uh, West Division and uh, seven games out of a playoff spot. Red Sox are five games out of a playoff spot. The Angels are seven. And the final line in this little piece in uh, The Athletic is maybe we should start wondering about Otani's free agency destination again. I think I can sit here on this August the 7th, 2023, and tell you folks unequivocally that I can guarantee that Shohei Otani will not be with one team in 2023. And that one team we can rule out is the Los Angeles Angels. I don't believe that Shohei Otani, even if the Angels matched the top offer of another team, I don't believe Otani has any desire to return to the Angels. He's been there six years. They have never made the playoffs in his six amazing years with the Angels. His teammate, uh, Mike Trout, still on the sidelines for the Angels. Trout, Mike Trout, who used to be called the face of baseball. Now it's Otani. Unequivocally, it's Otani. Mike Trout used to be called the face of Major League Baseball. He's been there 13 years with the Angels. They have qualified for the playoffs once, once in those 13 years. And what did they do? They lost the best three out of five series in three straight games to the Kansas City Royals. And Mike Trout did virtually nothing in the only three postseason games that he has ever played. Folks, I mean, I know this sounds bizarre, but I've been saying this to whoever would listen for years. The Angels are, are a jinxed franchise. If there was ever a franchise in sports that I could call jinxed, it would be the Angels. For whatever reason, whatever can possibly go wrong does go wrong. Uh, for the Angels. They've had tragedies during seasons. I mean, real tragedies, like players dying in a couple of cases uh, during seasons uh, of not too long ago. And uh, it's just been a, a, a cursed, jinxed, call it what you will. But for a team to have arguably, and there's an argument, uh, because some some people don't believe it, I don't believe it, I think... If I was, if I could have one player in Major League Baseball right now except Shohei Ohtani, because he's in a class by himself, everybody wants Shohei Ohtani. But I would give anything to have Mookie Betts back with the Red Sox. If I could pick one other player other than Shohei Ohtani, because obviously he's everybody's number one pick. But if I could have Mookie back, that would make me very happy. Of course, it's not happening. Uh, but that's the guy I would want to see on my team any day of the week is Mookie Betts. Some people will say Mike Trout. It's okay. It's an argument. Uh, but uh, to me, Mookie is more of a winning player. A player can do so many things. And it's such a yeah, – the Dodgers were on last night playing San Diego. 
It's hard for me to watch the Dodgers. I mean, it really is. When I see Mookie Betts playing for another team, there's one guy that should have been a lifetime member of the Boston Red Sox for his entire career. And the Red Sox dealt him away a few years ago. And I got Alex Verdugo in return, Connor Wong, the catcher, and Jeter Downs, who's, uh, I think, uh, I think he's in the witness protection program right now. I'm not exactly sure where Jeter Downs is. We know where Verdugo and uh, Connor Wong are. They're with the Red Sox. And, you know, not to knock them. I mean, they're, you know, average major league players. Mookie Betts is way, way, way above average as a major league player and as a leader, as a guy who makes other people on the team better, willing to play anywhere the Dodgers want to put him. He's played in the outfield this year. He's played at second base. He's played at shortstop. He has played everywhere. And and to me, if I could take one player in Major League Baseball other than Shohei Otani, because he would be number one on anybody's list, it would be Mookie Betts. So it makes me very sad. I can hardly watch the Dodgers. I wish Mookie well. I really do. He's terrific. And uh, it's just hard for me to watch. Hard for me to watch Mookie Betts play for another team. And, and it will always be the case. Anyway, an important program coming up uh, tomorrow here on Kale & Company because uh, we are going to be talking about possible employment opportunity with the New Hampshire State Police. Now, I think we all know pretty much that uh, there have been any number, and this is a, a national thing, any number of departures from police departments around the country, and that includes New Hampshire State Police, and they are recruiting. The uh, career of a state trooper is a very good one. It is not, you know, without, you know, obviously uh, a degree of danger. But if you're looking for a career, a man or a woman uh, who is looking for a career, you should consider uh, state police. And we'll be talking more about that tomorrow with Nicole Stone who is a state trooper, and the New Hampshire State Police now are actively recruiting new candidates. And, and yes, yes, you have to be a special person. It can't be anybody uh, to, uh, you know, take on the rigors of, uh, of what it takes to become a state trooper. But there are openings. I would venture to say, and I can say this, without doing any research, that there are probably openings in every police department, not only in the state of New Hampshire, but around the country as well. And there are openings at New Hampshire State Police. If you want to uh, get ahead, advance in, uh, you know, if you're, you know, wondering about uh, your next career step, well, why not think about it? We'll have more details coming up tomorrow on the show, just after 8 o'clock when Nicole Stone will uh, join us 
from New Hampshire State Police tell you about the opportunities for men and women with uh, New Hampshire State Police and talk about uh, law enforcement in general and uh, the number of departures there have been in uh, recent years, not only in the state, but uh, again, all around the country. Well, that will wrap it up for this edition of Kale and Company Live here on WKXL. Hey, if you want to hear it again, just tune in a little after 7 o'clock tonight. Our uh, guest today was uh, Chris Hatfield from SoxProspects.com. And uh, lots to lots to talk about when it comes to the Red Sox these days. And not much of it is good, unfortunately. That'll do it for this edition of the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to Kat for running the board once again. And uh, boy, she has a big show coming up, and we'll talk about that uh, next weekend in Laconia. That'll do it. Have a great Monday, everybody. We're presented by Northeast Delta Dental.